Welcome everyone to the Gov Navigator Show, a government-focused program that won't make you seasick. We're the Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award-winning podcast, FedHeads. Welcome to another episode, the Gov Navigator Show. So just making sure we're on the same page. We're not going to talk about the three, maybe four speaker votes that have happened. Is that right? We're not going to talk about it, but I'm That's wondering great. whether we need another countdown clock on sludgedaily.com. Days without a speaker, but it would be going up this time instead of down. Mm, that sounds complicated. <laughs> we're, we're also not going to talk about the problems in the Middle East. Nope. That is not fair game for the Gov Navigator show. As important as that is, and as as heart-wrenching as it is, it's not what we talk about here at Gov Navigators. So we're going to talk about cats and dogs sleeping together. That Mass is, hysteria. That is the annual service to America medals. That night when we highlight some of the enormous accomplishments that public servants have achieved on behalf of the American people. As I posted on LinkedIn, it's the best night in government. It was really striking to me because, first of all, the Gov Navigators were invited. For those of you who weren't, we were there, so you didn't have to be. Exactly. Although it was the place to be. I think it was a fantastic evening. I reflected on the fact that we showed the flag, stood up, held our hearts, and boisterously sang the national anthem. So it was, I'd say that our patriotism has been absconded with, but not this night. This was a night to be unabashedly proud of what our nations have accomplished and celebrating those who accomplished it. Totally agree. Can we talk just briefly about some of the winners? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what it's all about. Some of my, my takeaways. So I don't know if any of you out there listening have seen the movie Armageddon. Bruce Willis, great movie, a little over the top, but I thought you were going to talk about the winners. Totally digressed into some No, I'm no, I'm getting B, there. B movie because there's a team at NASA who has literally done that in real life. They spent years figuring out how to launch a garbage truck size rocket and divert the path of an asteroid 77 million miles away from Earth. And they were successful and they missed their target by five eaters. There's going to be an IPG investigation. So first of all, what an insane accomplishment over years at NASA. Kudos to that team. Secondly, maybe we should get that team over on the missile defense team, which has never really worked the way it's supposed to. Oh, yeah. When was the last time you were hit by a missile? I think we need to do some cross-agency data sharing between the team at NASA and the folks over at DOD. So I'd like to highlight Melissa Emery Aris, longtime Government Accountability Office employee, director of the Education Workforce and Income Security Team. She's saved enormous amounts of money for the Student Financial Aid Program and bird-dogged that program into accepting some of their recommendations. Now, she was awarded the Paul Volcker Career Achievement Medal, uh, but I think we often miss 
some of the great accomplishments that the oversight community makes on behalf of the American people. And I think that was a great example of what a couple of decades of just pounding at the bureaucracy to do better can produce real measurable accomplishments. And these are just a taste of the honorees, the finalists, and the winners of the Samuel J. Heyman Service to America medals that we were able to experience this past week. So hey, kudos to the Partnership for Public Service. This is, the, I believe, either the 20th or plus 20th year they've done these awards. And the amount of work that they do, both into figuring out where these amazing things are happening within the federal government, which is vast, as you all know, but also ensuring that the people who are nominated and win feel the weight of their accomplishments and the importance of recognizing them. They do a fantastic job with this event and with the with the awards program throughout the year. Kudos to the Partnership for Public Service for taking the time and making the investment in recognizing these people. But of course, we can't. And, and, and kudos also to the Governor Navigators team for toasting all of all the fine people at the partnership and attendees at the gala with the after party. I was shocked, overwhelmed, and delighted with the after party. Thank you to everyone who came. We're so glad that we were able to do that. And what a lot of fun we had that night. My daughter Hannah is saying that they're referring to the day after the Sammy's now as uh, the Gov Navigators flu. A lot uh, of people called out with the Gov Navigators flu. That that's right. That's right. Wow. Wow. I mean, I really want that on our website. I feel like that's yeah. a badge of honor that we need to embrace. Fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen, because you're going to meet somebody you'll never forget. Today, we're going to dive into the 8A small business program which is the subject of a lot of controversy, right, Adam? Well, it's you wouldn't tune into Gov Navigators if you didn't want to talk about something esoteric. So <laughs> here we are again. And yes, it has. It's unusually has been in the news for the last few months. And we've got some great folks here who actually know what they're talking about. We're going to walk us through some of the details. So without further ado, let me introduce Lahuana Russell, the dynamic CEO of Business Management Associates. Lahuana, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. This is a great conversation. Obviously, we've been talking about it for the past few months, probably should have been talking about it for years, but I'll take it. That's probably right. We've also got Nicole Atala. Nicole, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I am a partner at Plera Mazza, PLLC. So we I'm are- so glad here. you introduced that first. <laughs> so you know who we are. We are lawyers and probably, you know, 99% of our clients are government contractors. And we've been doing this for about 35 plus years, I think now, and started really in the GovCon space with the small business programs. That's, that was our bread and butter for a long, long time. And, you know, our clients have fortunately grown and that's great. So we do kind of nuts to bolts, law, employment, corporate, GovCon for government contractors. But I, with me today, I pulled into this conversation, Megan Lehman, my colleague who focuses quite a bit on small business programs and is really up to date with all of the hubaloo in the 8A program right now. You can basically ask her anything about a small business program and she's 
she's the person that can really dive into the nitty gritty and has been working a lot on these revised narratives. Lucky for Megan. Megan, the gauntlet has been thrown down. <laughs> the bar has been raised just for you here today, just so we're clear. <laughs> so Megan, why don't you why don't you tell us why we're here? What what is going on? Sure. Thank you all for having me again. My name is Megan Lehman. I'm counsel with Plara Mazza. And my bread and butter of my practice focuses heavily on the small business programs. And more recently in the last few months, definitely the 8A program and the decision that was rendered in Ultimo Services Corp versus the Department of Agriculture issued by the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Tennessee, which in layman's terms made it so that SBA is no longer able to apply the presumption of dis of social disadvantage for admission to the 8A program. So previously, before this decision, companies were in part eligible for the program by if the qualifying owner identified with a as a member of a certain group. Um, and so that is no longer able to be used anymore. So everyone, current and future participants, have to apply to the program by proving or demonstrating their social disadvantage by a preponderance of the evidence, which essentially means it needs to be more likely than not that the individual that is qualifying for the 8A program was discriminated against or treated um, disparately based on an objective distinguishing feature, whether that be race, ethnicity, gender, physical handicap, et cetera. That is not an exhaustive list that negatively impacted their ability to succeed and advance in the business world. So Megan, they can't just show up and say, but I'm disabled or I'm Hispanic. It has to be more than that, right? Exactly. They'll have to demonstrate that based on how they identify and how others perceive them, that they have been subjected to discriminatory or disparate treatment. And not just with their company, it could be in any facet of your life, education, employment, business history. It can go back many, many years, or it could be somewhat more recent. So, Lavana, so. congratulations. You're no longer socially disadvantaged. Um, <laughs> yeah. Give us, give us, Give us your perspective on this. You've you've built this your your company from nothing. Yeah. And so I'm really interested. Tell us about BMA and how you think this will impact you. So interestingly, as as Robert said, I built my company. I was by myself, right? And so the story goes: me, myself, and I, and a bottle of wine, sat down one night <laughs> and created a company. And and I still didn't even remember what that bottle of wine was. But one day I'm just going to make up one. But outside of that. Yeah, we started the company. Uh, we did get our 8A in the beginning, actually, the very, very beginning in 2005, because I was working a lot in the business transformation space in, in human capital and, and training, et cetera, and process improvement. And so it was that was what I was doing as an independent consultant. And then I really started moving into just having a business, quote unquote, and my 8A, started the company in 2005, got our 8A certification in 2006. Now, what's interesting about that is this whole like proving your disadvantage, I had to do that back then. So I'm like, why is this now such a big conversation? I had to write a whole essay on why I was considered disadvantaged. And this was in 2006. Did that requirement go away? Did it, you know, what happened to it that now it's all of a sudden a big, a big deal because I, I had to do it from the very beginning. And obviously for, 
Well, I won't say obviously, but and for me, it was it was relatively simple to do. We graduated in 2015. So, right, we did our nine years and we're out. But I could write 17 more statements of disadvantage right now, right, and, and continue the program. So, Megan, can you maybe answer that question? And also, I, I know SBA has taken some action since the court case, keep the program hobbling forward a bit. Can you talk about maybe both of those? Sure. So there are two main criteria to be admitted to the program. One is social disadvantage and one is economic disadvantage. And pre-2016, everyone was required to provide an economic disadvantage narrative, which touched a lot on a lot of the same items that are now required in this social disadvantage. They are separate and distinct requirements, but they are very similar. So I think what you might be referring to is an economic disadvantage narrative that did absolutely, yes, used to be required, but it became to be very repetitive of some of the other requirements. And from an economic disadvantage perspective, it largely is a numbers game. And do you fall under the certain thresholds? But before you had to detail the economic impact that you have endured over your lifetime. So that is largely what was required pre-2016. SBA realized, why are we asking them to do this when it's largely, again, uh, do you fit under certain thresholds for an, from an economic perspective? So that went away around 2016. And so a lot of companies that are currently in the program when this case came out we're really able to kind of go back and dust off that economic narrative, but it wasn't previously presented to SBA as a social disadvantage narrative. It was an economic disadvantage narrative. Again, very similar, also different. And so this court case really impacted the social disadvantage requirement, not the economic disadvantage requirement. So that was the primary change. Mm -hmm. And, and is that what SBA put back in after the no. court case? Because I know that I know that 8A recipients or, or designees needed to submit something new to SBA to continue to qualify. Is that, am I right. describing that correctly? Yeah, you are. They now had to pre present a, a social disadvantage narrative, which touched on who, what, where, when, why, how, in terms of each instance of disadvantage, explain key details, dates, names, location, what exactly happened? Why do you believe that was discriminatory and how that impacted your ability to succeed in advance? That certain level of detail was not previously required for the economic disadvantage narrative. Now, there are individuals pre this court decision that were admitted to the program having to prove their social disadvantage by a preponderance of the evidence. It wasn't every single person in the 8A program was getting in on the social side by simply checking a box. There are individuals that would have to have demonstrated their social disadvantage previously. So this decision did not impact those people that were admitted to the program by proving or demonstrating their social disadvantage. It impacted individuals who were admitted to the program on the basis of more or less checking the box and the identifying. Box. Right, exactly. Right. So before, for between 2016 and this case, you basically just submitted, instead of an economic disadvantage narrative, you basically just had to come under the numbers thresholds, right? Exactly. So you didn't really have to write this long thing. You just had to say, look, my total net worth is under X, Y, you know, Z. You just had to meet those requirements. But certain categories of individuals, instead of writing a social disadvantage narrative, they could just certify that they were socially disadvantaged basically by checking the box. So exactly. there are certain businesses that didn't have a narrative 
basically on file to meet the preponderance of evidence threshold. And that is what has changed. So if you don't have that narrative, when you submitted, you have to resubmit. And sometimes we have clients submitted, Megan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure we have clients submitted something, but it's not specific enough to meet right. the preponderance of the evidence threshold. So they have to go back exactly fill in all those details yep it's going to be really really interesting as we move forward with this and and i say this because i think about immigrants coming into this country wouldn't the social disadvantage have to be something that you experienced in the united states right because this yep. is a us-based program so yep. if i'm an immigrant coming in from china and i want to just live the american dream right now there are a lot of immigrants who are checking the box and they are getting their 8A certification. So it's good. I'm, I'm very curious to see how are those types of groups going to be able to prove any kind of social disadvantage. More likely than not, they won't be able, because you did point out a very good point. It does need to be instances that occurred in American society. It cannot be something that occurred overseas. There are a number of people who have immigrated here, you know, from a very young age or, you know, a long time ago. And there is no right number of instances there is no you know required threshold from like a pure quantitative perspective in terms of how to demonstrate your social disadvantage it can be wage discrimination or pay discrimination over a significant number of years seven six eleven whatever that might that might be sufficient but if there's you know one or two minor instances that really didn't ultimately negatively impact this individual either from you know an entry into or an advancement perspective in this business world then there may not be sufficient details for them to get it either admitted to the program or stay in the program and keep receiving the benefits of that program yeah Luana, you've coached us not to lead with your socioeconomic status and that you you've reminded me again and again that it's the value the offer that should get you in the door and keep clients your clients coming back for more talk about would you have been able to succeed without this program's advantages and what advice would you have to others to ensure that you're continuing to keep and grow your client base yeah, that's a great question. And I know we've had this conversation <laughs> a lot of times because I I have never really quite led with Luana Russell, woman-owned small business, EDWOSB, blah, blah, blah. I've led with, you know, this company is going to do amazing things for you, period, right? And that's how we want to be perceived in the marketplace. Because I think that for some um, the types of clients that we are pursuing, we don't want them to just perceive us as needing that handout or checking that box for them because that's going to be a short-term solution for that client. We want them to perceive us as that trusted partner, a valued partner, so that we have a long-term relationship with them and long-term growth. I understand, and someone rudely told me once, speaking of social disadvantage, it's like, well, you got to lead with the reason why you've been invited to the party. And he said it just like that. So y'all can <laughs> imagine the rest of that story. You've got to lead with the reason for why. For the record, it was not me. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, but in my mind, the reason that you invited me to the party is not because I'm a black woman. The reason you invited me is because we're adding value, right? So, and I say that to all, all companies, all small companies, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, whatever, lead with the value that you're adding. I, I even after, you know, we've 
again, been in business 18 years. We are doing quite well. And I still have small companies that'll come up to me and say, hi, my name's Alyssa and I'm an 8A. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What do you do? <laughs> you know, you're like, and she'll follow that with, we're facilities maintenance. Yeah. And I'm like, great, we are not. Right? <laughs> so why would I partner with you just because you're 8A? I'm going to partner with you because there's some kind of complementary services that we are offering. There's some reason for us to come together. So yes, understand that you're an 8A and use that as, yeah, this is how you can reach me more easily. But the real reason that someone is going to partner with you, whether it be me as another small business or a Grant Thornton or a they don't exist anymore. A guide house, yeah. whoever, oh, guide house. you know. Guide, like, that's like saying Voldemort. Don't don't say guide house on our podcast, please. Goodness gracious. Well, and I think it's an excellent point because it's not a forever program, right? right? And some, and some, you know, I know Megan also, and I talk to clients about, they'll say, well, I want to, you know, I want to get my 8A. I'm a commercial business. I want to get my 8A. And it's like, well, are you ready? Because right. you only have so much time in that sandbox. And then you've got to be ready to launch or figure out what your business strategy is as you exactly. go through that program, because it is not forever. It's limited. Right. Right. And if yes. they don't, if you're not learning that up front, if you're not thinking, and that's that's an unfortunate thing about the program, you have folks that are going into the program and just, I mean, I hear it from people. It's a money grab. I'm going in, I'm going to have my nine years. I'm going to grab as much money as I can, and then I'm out. So they're not even thinking about how to utilize it. It was a program that was, in my understanding, created for those who have been disadvantaged to learn how to generate generational wealth, right? It's a generational wealth building program supposed to be, right? This is how you do it. These are the things that we weren't taught in high school. These are the things that we weren't given the opportunity to learn in high school or in middle school or wherever in our communities. So now let's have a program where we're going to move forward and we're going to give you some of those foundations so that you can learn about entrepreneurship. You can learn about taking those stair steps towards generational wealth. Well, the program hasn't really taught that right? If people are coming in saying, I got nine years, I'm going to make some money and then I'm out. And then you're walking around saying, I'm an 8A. Well, you're a business. And in order to generate that kind of generational wealth for your business, you have to think of as a business. I'm an organization. I'm a corporation. I want my name and my value and the things that I have done, not only for others, but for my company to sustain long after I'm gone, right? And those are the things that we really need to teach all business owners as they're getting into business. The name of the program is the SBA's 8A Business Development Program. It is a developmental program. It is that short, quick nine years. I mean, nine years can fly by, (laughs) especially if you're not using it to your advantage the first couple of years. So yeah, being ready to go, it's not a program that you can just, you know, form a business yesterday and get in tomorrow. They do kind of have, you know, you have to, to prove some of your success. Not a lot, obviously, but you have to prove some in order to get into the program. So I will say on that note, if they want it to be a true business development program, then they have to, this is another topic, they really have to focus on how you're going to develop business and teach you that. Because in my nine years, I talked to my BOS one time. I was never supported (laughs) or helped or anything. I was just very... Sorry, BOS for the uninitiated. Oh, I'm sorry, my business opportunity specialist. At SBA, is that correct? At SBA, right? You're assigned a business opportunity specialist when you come in, and that person is supposed to help you and work with you and show you how to blah, blah, blah. I never talked to the lady, right? And the only time I heard from SBA was two years after I graduated when someone called me and said, hey, are you still 8A? (laughs) 
<laughs> and I said, no, but thank you so much for remembering me. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we are out of time. We are going to continue to be watching this. That It'll continue to play out. I just saw there's another couple of things that came up in the last week or two, and yeah. SBA addresses it. Plaintiff in the case and others, I'm sure, will take additional actions about how this will play out. So we'd love to have you all back on again in a couple of months and check in and see what's yeah. been changing and how the government is trying to address this. Happy to. Thanks great. for having keep, us. Thank you. Keep doing great stuff. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank Bye you. Bye-bye. Well, um, I'm glad they're following that. That was a whirlwind. Yep. I almost feel sorry for people who are disrupting that program. Um, what are you What are you looking at this week? So I have no inside information. I want to make that clear. But we've talked a couple times on this show about. Why would you say that? Long, Why would you say there's like, just about people are paying us to have inside information? Just about this one particular issue. But we've talked a few times about there's a long rumored executive order coming on artificial intelligence from the Biden administration. Chris Darusha, who is the federal CIO at the Office of Management and Budget, spoke at an event last week about AI, and his main message really boiled down. Wait, there down was an AI event last week? There was. Shocker. The FAIR Institute, the FAIR Institute, which is, the, it's dedicated to sharing and advancing the only international VAR standard for measuring and managing information risk. We've really gone off on a tangent here. Yep, sorry. The big, the big takeaway is that what Chris said was that agencies in their approach to AI should really be following the rules. And given that there aren't a lot of federal rules on AI right now, that sort of piqued my interest because I thought what he might be seeding is that the AI executive order might be coming out soon. So I'm going to keep a close eye on this week. I don't know that it's coming out this week, but it's been long rumored in the works and it would be exciting if it was. It would be a, a major release from the Biden administration if they put it out this week. Gov navigators will be monitoring that closely. I did want to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of an icon of public service and the federal financial management community in particular. We lost Linda Combs, who was controller at the Office of Management and Budget during the Bush administration, but also had the distinction of being the woman who had the highest number of Senate confirmed positions of any in the, in the history of the federal government, just a incredibly dedicated public servant, also a Southern gem uh, who will be missed. And we talked about the Sammies at the top of this program. She's someone who dedicated her life to public service and would that we had many more like her. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gov Navigator Show, brought to you by Gov Navigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you want to know more about us and what we're up to, please follow us on social media or visit govnavigators.com. Ahoy! Oh, jeez.